The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert, Layman Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we talk a little bit about summer trips and vacations, discuss some analysis from Pitching Bot's Cameron Grove regarding underutilized pitches and teams that might be better at getting the best out of their pitchers, and wrap up looking at a few pumpkins who have had good results but may turn back into gourds at any moment. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? Matt, I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's like been a pretty nice like June in terms of like both weather, which we, I know we always talk about, and like not yep. weather things. Um, <laughs> I've been doing this weird thing where I have like a nine to five job for the most part. Uh, are you familiar with this? Uh, well, it's not exactly nine to five, but my my day job uh, during the school year is far more regular than I think your job has been in terms of hours. Uh, with the school year rocking. Yeah, I uh, I have like a proper like weekday class that started this week. So I like mm. go to my office and go teach from like 9 a.m. to like about 5 p.m. with breaks in between. And it's just like possible to get home while the sun is still up and all the nice stuff that people <laughs> do as adults. So, yeah. How is how has your summer been starting for the most part? Uh, well, it's, it's been pretty good. It's, um, you know, I, the, the life of, of dad, right. Uh, who's off and, <laughs> and three children I've got. So right now it's, it's very in flux because I've got my kindergartner who's home with me because kindergarten's over. She, she made it, um, mm-hmm. I've for got her. the baby who's home. <laughs> yeah, good. Sure. Um, I've got <sighs> the baby who's, uh, obviously home. And she's awesome and, and really helps out. And she's like six going on 36 and, and except when she's not, but that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, and so like all of that just kind of goes and, and, uh, I'm lucky to have, you know, uh, my mother and my mother-in-law who want to come and see the kids and it lets me go play golf, that game that I know you're all for. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, it's, but it's, it's not like a rhythm of a, of a day, right? Like th- when I, when I'm not playing golf and I don't have somebody coming and I don't have like these things I have to do, it's like, Oh, what, what time is it? Wait a minute. What day is it? So, um, you know, all that's good. We're, we're going to be taking uh, a trip coming up soon 
which will be mm-hmm. nice. The baby's going to stay here with my, my mom and we're going to take the two girls down to Disney world for the first time, which is both <laughs> exciting and terrifying at the same time. So uh, it, listen, it's, it's all good stuff. It's, it's hard, but it's hard for the right reasons. So uh, I am not going to complain. I'm just explaining. It's been a nice little start, uh, start to the summer for sure. Um, speaking of summer and like the thing that happens in summer, uh, this is going to be the last time we talk and that people hear us before the 4th of July. What's, uh, what's on your, your agenda for that? Uh, we're going to Portland, Maine, uh, to do things that people do in Maine, which I think is just eat a lot of lobster rolls and (laughs) get Dunkin' Donuts from Boston on the way up. Uh, so yeah, that's my plan. Boston proper Dunkin' Donuts. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's also some. I don't know if this is uh, your thing, but there is there is some great beer to be had in Portland. And uh, oh yeah, that's um, the actual so plan. To, to be clear, to go along <laughs> with your lobster rolls. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I went to Maine pre kid uh, a bunch of years ago, and it was it was awesome. It's just laid back. We we like went out on a boat and went around, and it was freezing cold, and she was all bundled up, but it was fun. Like when we get to walk on like these cliffs near the sea and she dropped her phone in the water and we got to do the whole (laughs) buy a box of rice trick, which we knew worked when the box started ringing later on. Um, it was, it was a nice little trip. Maine's a pretty cool place. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Also to, to like talk about the thing that we've avoided so far really expertly. Um, not going to be a hundred degrees there. So that's exciting too. Um, Yeah. 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 Also, The one other thing that happens um, in summer, I should also say, that was really nice. Um, I went and saw O'Neill Cruz, who we briefly talked oh, about. I like actually nice. went and saw a baseball game um, last night, and the Pirates were there. Um, I'm not really sure that either the Pirates or the Nationals were playing all that much in said baseball game. They were like <laughs> just a handful of hits and just a whole lot of not a whole lot happening throughout a lot of it. Um Dead ball baseball is not that much fun on, with bad teams because there's just not a whole lot of, like, I don't know, ability to sustain disbelief of uh, uh, drama for like a mid June game for teams that are fighting for draft picks mostly. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I can but, understand that. But there is something about being at the ballpark that uh, is yeah, always a that little was, that was it, a little elevated, right? And also Patrick Corbin was like magically good. I see a lot of Patrick Corbin starts kind of by accident when I go and see the Nats. And this was like easily his best start that I've ever seen. He like had one earned run and like some absurd number of K's. It was it was a lot of fun, all told. Uh, we also and this is the most important part. I don't know if you have like an opinions about where to sit. We were sitting on the right field line near where the president's race comes out. So that was. Important. Oh, yeah, that that's pretty cool. No, I I, th- I think I only have opinions about where I sit um at Fenway just because that's mm-hmm. you know that's the place that's my place um other than that no I, I one of the things about being a fan of like I think the Yankees or the Red Sox is that um when you go to see them play elsewhere it, the access that you have to kind of choose your seat in a cost-effective manner is <laughs> is uh interesting I remember going to Comerica this is a long time ago um, I went to Comerica and I, I was able to just like pick up seats for less than it would cost me for not great seats at Fenway, like six rows behind the Red Sox dugout. Um, and then the, the, the Tigers mailed me in Connecticut, um, 
pleased to buy seasons tickets for many years <laughs> after that. Uh, so that. there's all of that. You know, that's that's the yeah, that's the the payoff. Hey, a couple of programming notes. I think we should probably bring up here before we jump into our uh, our baseball talk. Um, one, we are going to aim for this episode to be a little shorter form than we normally do. Probably the thirty to forty minute range. We'll see how good we are at cutting ourselves off and and uh, not going past that. Uh, we're usually not very good at that, but we'll see. That's the that's the goal. So if you're listening and and uh, you're you've got about uh, thirty five minutes left on your drive or whatever it is that you're doing, then hopefully we uh, we nail that right. We're done right as as you need to uh, get out of the car or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, also, the next couple of weeks, I will not be here. Um, and so Alexander will be uh, the, the the captain of the ship, the admiral of the fleet. What are we what are we what metaphor we want to go with? I, I think like UPS truck driver would be like a pretty good one. That's really all I'm aspiring to most of the time. All right. So what can Brown do for <laughs> you for the next couple of weeks? Um, and uh, and then we'll be we'll be back together uh, on the other side of all of this, this summer fun goodness. Uh, so just, just be aware of that as you are uh, proceeding through the next couple of weeks and, and the episodes come down. Do you have any ideas about, uh, about what we're going to do? We're going to try and fly solo. You're going to grab a couple of guests. What's the, uh, what's, what's the plan there? Well, I have a, a really deep curiosity about all of the things I ha- know nothing about regarding the MLB draft. So I'm hoping to see if we can uh, manifest someone who knows what they're talking about in terms of that. I know it's not me, so you will not get an MLB <laughs> draft solo pod for me. Well, that's perfect. If if you're kind of taking over the host duties, uh, pick something you don't know anything about. That's what I've been doing here for 64 episodes, so um, it's perfect. And uh, on that note, let's talk a little baseball. Let's get into our warm up. Uh, we have here a couple of uh, tweets from Pitching Bot, uh, a really fantastic account, especially if you're into like the 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 numbers and and some really neat analysis. Um, that the account is is awesome. Uh, guy's name is Cameron, right? Cameron Grove. Shout yeah. out, Cameron. Uh, your work is is awesome, uh, and everybody should be following that and and checking it out. Um, why don't you take? take this over here and, and talk about what his tweets say and why they're relevant. And then I have a couple of things I want to throw out there that they might, I'm going to preface this disclaimer. They might sound like I'm trying to poke holes in things, but it's really just my natural curiosity. Um, and I could be way off. And, and if Cameron were here with us, he might say, yeah, that's interesting. And here's why it doesn't matter. Or here's why that's not a thing. Uh, that's, that's perfectly uh, um, within the realm of possibility. Uh, but that's going to be what I, what I kind of do here because I am genuinely curious about sometimes the way these systems work. But before I do that, why don't you go ahead and and talk a little bit about what they say? Yeah. So he had a couple, and I didn't even realize they were both from him whenever like they popped into my mind while I was drafting (laughs) the outline. And of course that's just how it happens. The people I follow who I tend to think say smart things are sometimes the same person. Um, instead of people, the first one. Um, that I wanted to pull up was what I, th- I thought was kind of like a, a, an interesting um, outcome sort of thing that he observed. Um, he tracked following a piece by Eno Saris about like pitchers who should throw different pitches more. The percentage of um, pitches basically that are thrown less than t- 10% of the time that are like better than a pitcher's stuff by his pitching like 
model uh, in terms of like the grades that he puts out. So 2015 and 16, it was just under 4% of all pitches were like underutilized good pitches, essentially. And over the, the years since uh, 2017, 2018, 2019, those dropped a precipitous amount each year until we've kind of hung steady since about 2019 in the 2% range. In other words, we've cut the number, we, I say, like, as if we've done this, the number of, like, underutilized pitches in half over, like, a span of just a handful of years. And we've hung out in this pretty good spot in the years since. Um, obviously, the reporting on major league teams doing model stuff to be really, um, you know, particular here that would look a lot like what he's doing or what Eno's doing. You know, they, they have different, but the same outlook on how things should be, you know, different ways of computing, you know, similar. You can learn a whole lot just from like where and what pitchers are throwing rather than what batters are doing in any way. Um, so if teams are acting the same way, and we've heard reporting about this, it's no surprise then that teams would behaving in a way be, would be behaving in ways that this sort of model would like. Um, but I also just thought it's really interesting to see how little there is left that's like clearly, clearly being underutilized in like a I can just run a quick query and like figure out so and so needs to let's change things. Read out what he has here on on his chart because I think that um our graph, whatever the right word is for that, um, I think it's important. It defines his his like concept of underutilized pitch uh he says it is quote one which is thrown less than 10 percent of the time while having better stuff and expected run value than the pitcher's average end quote that's that's his use of of underutilized so um there's a couple of things that come to mind when i look at things like this and, and cameron again this is not me trying to poke holes in what you're doing i'm sure that uh, you have thought of all of these things, but just in case there are people at home that are listening or in your cars or wherever it is that you're, you're checking us out that think like I do. My first thought was, okay, so what we have decided as an industry creates a quality pitch, right? So in this case, we're talking about expected run value, uh, a, a pitcher's average, and then a specific pitch that, outperforms that but isn't used all that much um are we taking a system that has maybe some flaws baked in creating an algorithm that has those same flaws baked in and then running this statistical regression or whatever it is that it's doing and and it lines up but it's got the, it's lining up because it's got the same flaws. So uh, we were talking a little bit about this before we started, and my teacher brain went to this. This maybe this will help you understand what my brain is saying a little bit more. I'm a teacher. I teach kids about the Civil War, um, but I do it wrong. Okay, <laughs> I then design a test to measure their success on having learned about the Civil War. And I grade that. So I'm designing the measurement tool. I'm um, basically looking at the criteria and judging whether the kids have met that, that criteria. And so I can say, yes, this kid got an A on this test about the Civil War. But is it possible that the kid 
gave me a whole bunch of wrong information about the Civil War because that's what I taught, that's what I put on the test, that's what I assessed, and that's what I measured. So that's the kind of thing I think about. And I'm, I'm going to give one more example, and, and I, I shared this with you before, Alexander. Like, we talk, we, we hear a lot about, like, especially in medicine, right? Like, oh, this and this are, are two things. You, you don't want to have this one thing because this other thing will happen, like gum disease and uh, heart attacks, right? And I'm not a doctor, so I'm sure that there are people out there who can tweet at me and tell me why this is a, a bad example for what I'm saying. But this is my brain. This is my natural curiosity. And I think we should all have this curiosity because even if Cameron's done all of this and I'm wrong and he's like, nope, that's not an issue. I still think that we should think this way about things and ask the question. And then fine, we can learn that that the information can be trusted. But this is how we also find out when things and relationships are created that maybe we shouldn't trust. So if I have gingivitis, I'm more likely to have a heart attack. Okay, that might be true, right? But is gingivitis causing heart attacks or am I just not taking care of myself in multiple ways that's causing tooth decay <laughs> and gum disease and also cholesterol and heart attacks? So I guess the, the, the TLDR of all of this is, are we talking about coincidence or causality? And if we're talking about causality, is it is it a causal relationship because they have the same flaws baked into the way that we are discussing and measuring these things. So what, where, where do you think uh, all of this lands in terms of this kind of, of a discussion, Alexander? So I, I do think that there's probably not um, some really broke system, bad stuff going on here by like the way that they have shown their work. And I think that's the, yeah, the nice thing about things not being big, right? not too black boxy yet. I mean, a lot of teams are moving towards the changes they're making for particular reasons. It's not that hard to stop throwing bad pitches. If you just know what a bad pitch is. and Cameron Grove and MLB front offices and people who are building stuff like them are all kind of in agreement that like some of the basic tenets, I would, I would say it seems like the overlap between a lot of these things, like don't throw a bad fastball, middle, middle, don't throw a bad yeah. fastball at all. If you can avoid it, but I think don't this, throw a this fastball to shape, right? This feels more to me like your changeup is really good and you don't throw it often enough. Uh, the other thing that I'm curious about too, is this seems to also somewhat coincide with some of this, um, fly ball revolution timing. I wonder if we were to go back a few more years, whether or not that this is, could be two things happening at the same time, that mm -hmm. analytics, analytics are getting better. Pitchers mm -hmm. are, are more aware. Uh, teams are managing this more effectively uh, and, and, and getting pitchers to throw their best stuff in the right situations. And mm -hmm. guys are swinging and missing a lot more at pitches that maybe in the past they wouldn't have. Um, and could there be elements of that here, uh, as well? And again, the answer can be no, I I'm, these are, it's just these, these are the questions that pop into my head when we look at this kind of data, because mm. again, numbers can, uh, numbers are numbers, but they can be used in ways that, that draw conclusions that might not be the case. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here with, with okay, this picture. I, I'm actually imagining great, but from what you're saying, like a potential version of things where this is coincidence then what makes for a good pitch may because of changes in decisions from batters, for example, have changed over the past half decade, decade or so. 
And so even though pitchers and teams haven't gotten smarter, it would appear as though they have. Like that's a that's a version of reality that could exist. I mean, you can go test some hypotheses to, to I think invalidate that. And I, I don't think that's necessarily what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um but like another version of this then is just like MLB teams and Cameron have both make a similar fatal flaw about, you know, name some variable about a thing they're doing. Uh fastball height, for example. Maybe they're both over into um high fastballs or whatever it is that you first name bunch of numbers on Twitter that thinks that the Yankees are secretly <laughs> bad because they're trusting analytics too much. I don't know. Uh, easily my favorite imaginary guy on Twitter right now is the person who thinks the Yankees are dumb because they rely on analytics too much. Um yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but like that sort of thing could happen and and we have to be alert, alert to that. The thing about it all though that keeps me from thinking that's a problem is that these sorts of methods tend to massively outperform especially in small samples a lot of more outcomes based things and i'm having to come to terms with that the black boxes that i don't love do seem like they're sometimes a lot better than the things that i do love in terms of their simplicity Mm. so they do need to like cross validate each other but i will say um i remember a couple months ago when i said that i was trading away lucas giolito in a dynasty league because i was worried not because any of my own data said mean things about him but rather because his like stuff grades were all looking really poor and i was worried about the floor flaw the floor falling out well it did and i mm-hmm. kind of like have to be reacting with some well-found trust that the people that they haven't loved in some ways have reverted to some sort of things now there's still some people i'm concer- concerned about but i think those grades have even themselves out like i think brios has like looked be- worse by his model as the years gone on even as things have kind of like leveled out and like the, the statistics of lots of events is that rare and unpredictable and out of whack with your model things will occasionally happen, but better models just have those happen less often. And yeah. the work about all of this does tend to make me trust all of them. Um, and that's fair. Also, I didn't yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I also just think that when you look through the pitches, he did put this underneath the tweet, which I think is really nice that um, do seem like they're not being thrown all that often. One of the things that occurs to me is, there's a handful of these that are probably popping up because someone's fastball or whatever is they throw a lot has just been garbage. So that if you just throw a mediocre pitch, you know, it's better than the garbage you throw most of the time. It's beating your average doesn't necessarily mean it's beating league Great. average, yeah. right? Or, or whatever. So it's just a different yeah. way of looking at it. Now I'm, this is, I'm going to take a, a second and say like, after all of that, Hey, why might this not be make sense? And why might this be broken? I, I agree with you. I think that, that what we're looking at here is one of two things uh, or both things at the same time um, that teams are absolutely getting better at getting their pitchers to throw their best pitches because they're more able, able to identify which are, are the best pitches that, a, that a, a guy throws in the arsenal. And, and we're seeing them use that more and more strategically. It makes sense to me. It does make sense to me that maybe it's also easier to get some of those. So, so pitches, especially from guys who might not have great uh, arsenals to begin with uh, by hitters who are, are just kind of swinging as hard as they can and are going to miss a lot of off speed pitches if they're not expecting them. 
Um, I think both those those things can be true. And I'm not saying at all that this stuff is definitely broken. It's just, I think it's really good for us to ask those questions before we just start relying on this data. But to your point, I think the way that he's doing this and sharing it and, and open about it uh, is the right way to do it uh, without giving away his secret recipe to show that it is <laughs> it's valid and makes sense. Yeah, the run value focus is something I really like. Um, I also want to clarify, like you, you got me thinking about like the swinging and missing of all of this. Is this is still like training your data based off of hitter behavior and then grading not on hitter behavior. So like the pitches that are grading well aren't those that are getting a bunch of whiffs. They're just the ones that are shaped like pitches and placed in locations like pitches that get a lot of whiffs or whatever. So. You know, it's harder for things to be purely outcomes based, but they're still farther down the line. Some of the effects that you're identifying things that people would be maybe whiffing at more these days than they wouldn't have based off some choices. If that's a hypothesis you could test. Um, It's just like not as direct, which reminds me of like the other version of this exact same hypothesis. The I ran a fan graph search and here are the pitches I found that had a swinging strike rate of X, Y, Z, and also this other thing and this other third factor that are all thrown under 10% and so-and-so should throw them more, which is how we've kind of had to do it. And so I don't want to disparage it too much, but we've talked about this a little bit before. Those sorts of things are going to be um, constrained by the fact that if hitters aren't seeing pitchers all that or pitches all that often they aren't planning around them you know they're not getting used to them they probably aren't going to see that that pitch more than once in like a pa so they're naturally going to do a little bit worse against them um i like to draw like the like the nba shooter example which i think is one of the like most crystal clear if you're a guy who rarely ever shoots defenses aren't going to be inside your shirt keeping you from shooting at the three-point line but as yeah, you right, try right. to be the guy more and more as your cutter or as your change up tries to be your out pitch more and more, it, people are going to game plan around it and you get like decreasing marginal benefits of increasing use. So like point of diminishing returns like, models is kind that, of what we're yes, talking yeah, that's about. A great, here, right? That's a better way to say it. <laughs> yeah. So like if you, if you take your 9% usage and make it 20%, uh, you might actually dip below your average. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I already forgot the metric that he was using. Uh, runs like, against, is that what it was? Well, for swing strike rate and things like that, it will. The beauty of the way that like a stuff plus model would work, though, is because it's just shape and location. It's t- completely blind to how hitters are reacting to it. So if you identify an underthrown pitch in that thing, you can without having to deal with the sort of yeah but the hitters would do better about it counter argument that we just raised for the here are the pitches that have a great whiff rate thing that i'm identifying like that doesn't apply to the way he's going about things and that's why i like it better than the alternative yeah, yeah. yep that makes a and lot that's of why sense it's also important it's- then that teams are getting their pitches to throw those pitches more it's actually a yeah. good choice yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're getting them to do something that they're good at and they have control over rather than worrying about what happens once they've lost control over the outcome. That, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Um, all right. We have another tweet. I think we're going to have to talk about that one briefly and then get into our numbers of the week. And it's going to kind of just roll right into our, our central question 
uh, talking about uh, Tony Gonzalez a bit here. But uh, before we get to all of that, we are going to take a very small break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we're back, Alexander. What's going on with this second tweet? Let's do the uh, the TLDR on on this so that we can really kind of get into uh, what you want to say about um, former pumpkins and uh, and what's what's going on with them. I am. Um, I want to call attention to one that got a lot more attention, and so I think it's uh, it's it's a little bit more fitting that that we do the TLDR on this because more of our followers may have seen this to begin with the one yeah. we first mentioned got like 18 likes and like one retweet it kind of a shame it's a great piece of like analysis um and this is just a nice chart of which teams have changed pitchers quality most and in which way so it's just like a two-axis graph of um how teams have affected the pitch quality so like you're, they make you throw better stuff Versus which teams have affected pitchers, uh, just usages, getting to throw the existing stuff they have in a better combination. So like less of your bad stuff. Um, and it like just charts basically which are the smart and effective teams and which are the, the less effective teams. Uh, now, there's a natural bias about this is that like if you're working with a pitching coach who like gets you and then you go somewhere else where they haven't figured you out yet you probably aren't going to be as effective. There's definitely some selection bias about all of this. And that's why I think it's important to kind of think about, you know, which teams are picking players up from teams that like they can and tinker with and improve because they have potential and which teams are getting the scraps. So there's like definitely oh, yeah, some more here, but yeah, that's really important because a guy like Max Scherzer coming to the Mets probably isn't going to see an improvement in his stuff quality. Right. So that does that look like the Mets aren't making him better or is it just because he's already awesome? And it's an outlier. It's an extreme situation. I know it. that's like one one guy. But I do think that those are important things to keep in mind. And, and the other side, too, like there's a lot of players that just kind of get included in deals and probably for financial reasons and all that who probably are never going to see major league success. Um, and so then a team looks like they're not improving those guys when no team probably really can. So. Who are the teams that are going after those those top level talents, and who are the teams who are really working to develop those talents rather than than uh, kind of go get them once they've been established? There's there's a lot of variable uh, mm -hmm, stuff mm -hmm. kind of going on in all of this, but again, that's not me saying like this is a bad graph. I think this is really interesting, and if you look the way that, at the way that the teams sort out. Um, I think that it's probably easy to see, you know, like, okay, Pittsburgh mm -hmm. doesn't show really well. The Mets don't show really well. Um, 
and they haven't done a great job with developing that, but they also tend to mm-hmm. go and get, at least recently, they're going and getting guys who are already established. You're not going to take mm-hmm. somebody who's already amazing and make them amazinger. That's not really a word, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's maybe also some sticky stuff bias in here that I want to say, like this is a 2015 to 2022 sample. Now we basically said all the mean things first because the, the fact of the matter is the usage change thing is, I think the most interesting. You can see which teams have been most proactive about getting people to change who they are in um, different ways. And I think the usage change probably doesn't factor in as many of those things as much. Cause like you see like Colorado and like Oakland and Baltimore, are, like the absolute ball bottom of the stuff grade. And like, there are some reasons for that beyond like, just like geography, but you know, that Colorado has got some geography things. And he points it out. Yeah, he does. Then he has the, the teams like Cleveland and Texas who are, oh, it's not great right now, who have been really excellent about making people throw the right stuff. And I think Texas has done it quite quietly, but they've yeah. over the past handful of years been really good. And I like this as a check in on how I've been thinking about which teams have been good. I'm sure the White Sox would grade much better if we just had the past couple of years. It's interesting for me to see that uh, Milwaukee, who has been good for several years, is like bang average in my mind. Like, I feel like they're a good team when it comes to pitcher development. But and I think this kind of gets at like a sort of question in terms of like the biases that leads us into the pumpkins we're going to talk about. It's like some pitchers get better because until they work with a coach for a long time, get to set goals, get to try to meet them and have consistency. Some people get better because they leave a bad place. Um, and you know, some people get better because they go to a good place, right? And, and they get someone else who maybe just like is really good for what they're good at. You know, I think this chart makes me think uh, think about those things separately. Are teams good at identifying talent that can be molded? Are teams good at just working with what they have? I, I imagine that yeah. Milwaukee's success, I think we have to give them credit for a lot of working with what they have over a long period of time in my mind. We're not going to talk about them a whole lot today. I just thought that that was like a last thing that struck me as looking at this. Um, but um, yeah, Tampa and, also and honestly, the charts. stupid. Um, as much as like I look at these things and I'm like, OK, I really want to understand what's going into this and in what ways like why Houston and Toronto and Cincinnati are all bunched together. They're very different organizations. Like, how do they get to this place in different ways? And I ask, I'd like to ask that question out loud again. This is in no way talking about like, this isn't worth talking about. It absolutely is. And I have to say uh, one, one last shout out, Cameron. I love the way you're thinking about trying to make sense of these things because um, whether there even is a flaw baked in, let's, let's say that there is, and I'm not saying there is, but let's say there is, it's still generating conversation and inquiry that is worth exploring and talking about. And, and I think you made the point before that you can actually learn more from a well-designed kind of experiment that is proven wrong than just a, a very simple set of data that is spot on right, but doesn't really push the boundaries of the thinking. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think that's really, really awesome. And this is definitely an account y'all should be following. I think that all the things we say that I said I called mean are mostly just, yeah. hey, don't interpret this too lovingly beyond what its limits are. I think that yeah, a right, lot of the people right. who, who would be working with this would know how far they can go. And it's often the job of like the, hey, I'm communicating to someone who's not a statistician sort of people, which is sometimes us, I would hope to tell people who aren't trying to do statistics what the limits on their interpretation can be. 
we're not saying that Tampa Bay is perfect at making pitchers better. Um, we're just saying that historically, this is what has happened. And you can explain why those would be down to good philosophy. And you can maybe also explain those for some other like financial reasons. And you can explain those for maybe some goopy reasons sometimes. So um, yeah, I'd love to for see sure. how things transpire. So. All right, let's uh, let's transition into talking about what we we want to highlight here, which is um, players who uh, kind of have not lived up to expectations, um, not necessarily been great, uh, maybe been good and then turned not great, and have kind of come back a little bit. And um, you want to kind of start here with, with Tony Gonsolin as kind of the case study for that, but this applies to a lot of other players and i think you have some other names here you'll bring up but why don't you uh why don't you kind of wade into the water here in terms of this discussion and we can start with the numbers of the week which would be the i I like the way you wrote this down era ish stats yeah you know if we're talking about people who are seemingly better if that's kind of like the catch all here um between both the front half and the back half i thought tony gonsolin was an interesting case he hasn't moved He's not like some prospect who was greatly hyped, who's finally put it all together after a couple seasons of quasi linear growth. He's just been a back of the rotation dude for a good team who suddenly has a 1.58 ERA. Um, but I grabbed all of his ERA numbers and, you know, like ERA, Sierra, etc. cetera. Um, and I've arranged them in order of non-predictiveness, a.k.a. The very first things we're going to read off, the first things, by the way, you would encounter if you just read left to right on fan graphs, I realized. I used to search for Sierra, but I like threw it on there as well. Um, the things you see first are the least predictive. So he's got a 158 ERA and then a 287 X ERA, which is, you know, more than a run worse, but still good. And then he's got a 338 FIP, which is like a half run worse, but still pretty good. And then a 379 X FIP, which is, you know, almost a half run worse, but still okay. And like a 38 Oh, Sierra, which is pretty similar. So he's currently um, I did a better job today of making sure everything was in front of me Um, (laughs) among qualifiers. He's got the fourth best ERA. He's got the second best whip and he's got the most wins. He's been absolutely essential for the success of a lot of teams in like fantasy categories. Striker rate's just 24.5% right now. And he's got an 8% walk rate, which is like 16% K minus BB is pretty pedestrian. Um, the thing I want to point out about him though, and what I I like I want to point this out and put on the cards on the table before we talk about like what it all means and how we think about people. His like 19-ish percent hard contact rate is basically the same as last season. Um he's been a guy who by the sorts of things that I have trained myself to care about, seems to be sustaining in part some things I would otherwise kind of say is unsustainable. You array out those numbers like least predictive to most predictive and the story gets worse and worse for him. And yet there's some stuff here that I think tells me I want to push back on that directionality, even just a little bit. So like, you know, historically, have you been someone that like, when you try to think about who someone who's good, like, are you likely to, accidentally jump to the fat the category the fantasy category sort of numbers because I, I know i have like i i remember yeah the sort of guy who loved the e- the espn player writer before i trained myself to hate it <laughs> i think it depends upon what you're trying to accomplish in your format right like if if i'm trying to find a guy who's who i need to fill in for a week and right now his numbers are good 
um, you know, that might be somebody I'm more willing to take a chance on filling in than somebody who's gotten blown up. But um, mm-hmm. that is very surface level analysis. I mean, that's not really digging too deeply into what might be causing that. And um, so I, I think we all kind of fall into the traps because those are the things that are there. If I'm playing ESPN fantasy baseball, I go into the, you know, sort by it's going to be those categories. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you, it it, it's a lot more work to find the under the hood stuff and can be more complicated and trying to understand how to make the under the hood stuff make sense. So I think a lot of people do kind of look at ER. They might look at like the last seven days or the last 14 days to see like what's happening lately. Do I want to take the chance right now? I think, mm-hmm. I think that there's some, some value to doing that. There's also a lot of risk, right? Because what happened last week doesn't have necessarily anything to do with what's going to happen tomorrow. Right. I do like to see if like the trends that are happening in real life are at least supported by some better performances under the hood. You know, it's kind of like the, is the ERA matching at least the stuff that's a little bit more stable than like XERA? Um, Is someone pitching well, but from a pure stuff standpoint, but also have they gotten smoked? Um, did they get babbipped just by some weak um, line drives that like landed right over the second baseman's head? You know, that the talent that's not talent. And Gonsolin's not been great <laughs> by any means, except for the fact that he has um, the result, like the yeah. traditional yeah. means. And I think he's such an interesting, like, there's a lot of stuff that's fighting and got me conflicted here. I feel like I should be arriving at the conclusion that um, any sane person. Um, should be trying to sell him to any insane person they can find, uh, which is not always that easy. Uh, you know, if you're <laughs> if you're Nick Pollock and you don't look at these things, it's really nice to like look at the PL player page for him. He's like um, currently thirty. Come on, come on back. Where is it? Uh, it's disappeared on me. Thirty first on the list, um, and that feels like about right for seeming like he has a great run is getting some real go throughout the games playing for good teams so you get the the wins bonus and the walk rate hasn't been as bad in the past like yeah sure i can see that um the even funnier thing on this page though is if you look at like the 2022 projection they have on here from the beginning of the season it's like almost an identical strikeout rate almost an identical walk rate it's like you know less than a tick above um and Gonsolin's walk rate last year was uh, not great. He watched 14% of batters and you get 27% strikeout rate, but like that's not going to cut it. That's 13% K minus BB is uh, pretty mid. Um, and here he is fulfilling basically exact this like rough back of the ma- napkin uh, projection. But that projection came along with like a four ERA and a one, two, five whip projection. Like it's just because he's continued this like incredible string of like good hard contact numbers and i will say the ground ball rate hasn't been low he's allowing weak and medium contact into the air which is better this year than it normally is and you have to wonder like if this is who he can be is there a world where the models we've trained in past years like fip xfip sierra etc are missing the guys who are going to be able to sustain some more weak contact. And, you know, I, I pointed out many times in the past in season, hard contact rate gets stable about the same time, same rate that walk rate does. Once people are who they are, we can kind of trust them. So if Gonsolin is this kind of guy, do I want to buy in that? Maybe he's better than his Sierra. Do I want to buy in that? Maybe he is like capable of like a three, three ERA guy sort of season, rest of season, you know, maybe yeah. especially yeah. if the over, 
like traditional like, like statistician there's over like i know that this stuff shouldn't stick guy like myself would be selling it so it's, it's a weird country well here's here's what i think would be interesting would be to go back and look at guys who for a full season were able to outperform those kinds of numbers and what made that possible so like what's the hmm. prototypical kind of player that can outperform that we've talked about that with like line drive right there are a handful of guys who maybe seem to have like a skill in that regard that a lot of other players don't but most of the time that's going to land in the average range um a couple of things that i notice when i look immediately um he has a a 90 percent left on base percentage right now um (laughs) yeah yeah. And so, uh, you know, if you look at what zips and, and steamer and the bat have for that for rest of season, it's 74, 73, 71. So <laughs> you're talking about 18 to 19% less strand rate that could blow up some of those numbers right quick. If, if that comes to fruition and I'm going to ask you this question, cause I honestly don't know what would, and maybe you don't either. And I'm sorry if this is putting you on the spot, but what would be a league average like a, a home run to fly ball ratio that you would say is like, okay. Oh, that's a number I don't think about very often. I'm going to say probably right now, 12, 13, somewhere seems right. normal. Yes. Yeah, so he's at 8.1%. Now it right. could also be that he's doing something to limit those fly balls becoming home runs. It could be that the dead ball is helping him maybe a little bit more than other people because of his stuff. Or it could just be that there's some regression coming in that regard as well. So, um, you know, I, I hear everything you're saying and I completely understand it. And I think that's why these situations are really hard to, to know. I I think, I think the most likely case in any of these situations is the guy we've seen is the guy that he'll probably be, but he's Mm -hmm. different because he's, he's not been around for all that long. Right. So is it possible that he figured something out? Uh, I, I mean, at the major league level, right? Like he had, he played a little bit in 2019, 2020, um, some appearances. Anyway, I, I guess the, the, the long, the, the long and short of this is somebody who's suddenly really good is probably more likely to find his way back to being whatever he's been than is suddenly mm-hmm. amazing. Um, which isn't to say it's not possible, but I think it's a far more likely outcome. So if I'm playing the law of averages, I'm looking at that left on base percentage. We talked about that with Robbie Ray last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's come back home, to earth. Yeah. The home run to fly ball ratio being really low and not really because of anything we can point to, to say he's definitely doing this better. I'm, I'm thinking that this, this is somebody I want to try and get somebody to buy into. Um, but at the same time, he could just have made a, a, a change about like what Robbie Ray did last year, right? I'm going to make a decision to throw the ball more in the strike zone and it, and it worked for him for a year. Um, mm-hmm. But this is, I think this is a very interesting case. I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah, I, I liked him very much in the, this doesn't fit our usual stories for someone getting good. So we ought to use it to like evaluate some of those biases. Are we willing to believe things are different more when there is that story we can tell rather than just it's another year. Maybe he's a little bit healthier. Maybe things just kind of happen slightly differently. I think it's making me more willing to discard some of those new place. So better pitcher sort of biases to a degree, but like, you know, that's why we pulled up the chart earlier. 
you can see that actually a lot of teams do make people seemingly there. I would say, no, like, I'm going to say do make them. That is ascribing causality. I, I want to scrub that. Players who have moved to most teams have not gotten better as a result. So I, I guess that should make me more willing to believe that if someone's going to get much better and they haven't moved, you know, does that make it less believable? Maybe not. Um, I also yeah, just think that, you know, we know what to point to at this point. You know, line drive rate, you stole it from me before I could say it, but it's not even stealing at this point. Right? <laughs> Sorry. You know what we're talking about. Like, <laughs> left on base rate, we know what we're talking about these things. Um, it makes me wonder almost is if I am the person selling and I'm this hyper-rational, my numbers say I got to. Are people like Gonsolin easily stolen from me in that sense? Um, I'm not sure. I don't tend to roster them long enough to get in this spot, I guess. Probably mm. would have sold them a while ago and then just been regretting it. Um, so I think that's that's all kind of funny. I will say that he's had like four seasons of like equal length at this point, but not quite equal length. Let me see. Like he has, um, let's see, a 40 inning, 46 inning, 55 inning, and a 74 inning this year season. Um, and his had a whip under one at or under 1.03 in three of those four uh, in the last year where he just couldn't find the strike zone was the only bad one. ZRA has been under three in all of them, except for last year we couldn't find the strike zone, but he's never been great by walk rate except for one time he was. So yeah, it's like, do we also, whenever we think of guys who haven't been all that successful, kind of smooth things out much more than we have been, forget where the valleys and the peaks have been in looking to this. I'm kind of realizing just how much I've been willing to do that. I've kind of described him as just kind of mid rather than, a bunch of different waves of really good through some bad luck and good luck, and also a bunch of different waves of good performance and bad performance. So I'm really yeah. interested to see how it all pans out for him rest of the season. Kind I have of no idea what to say. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very complex. Uh, why don't we talk about these last two players that you have? Maybe we'll do the the five-minute version, uh, like two minutes a piece, and then that leaves us a minute to kind of wrap up. But uh, you've also got here Tyler Anderson and Nick Pavetta. Yeah, I, I grabbed Anderson as a, he's coming to the Dodgers contrast, who, again, I also kind of find to be a little bit pumpkin-y, um, and has also just been killing it, you know, eight wins, fourth, uh, 104 whip is 28th, uh, the three two three ERA is actually only 57th among qualifiers, God, what's happening to ERA this year, but like, <laughs> that's still helping you quite a bit, right? Um Striker rate's still abysmal and actively hurting you, uh, unless you're in a situation where you can kind of get away with that, so like, is it great? Eh, but it, it's been good. And those are kind of separate things. It, Nick's got in 58th as I'm staring at it. Um, and, you know, if you look across the board of the peripherals that I tend to care about, the hard contact rate's been better than average, even though he allows so many opportunities for contact. Like 21% strikeout rate, four and change walk rate, right? So he's allowing almost 75% of batters to like hit the ball into play. But like, under a third of those balls in play are hard contact. So you get like 50% of the time, the batter just hits it weekly into, into play. Like, is that fully sustainable? I would say probably not. Um, but he's had a couple pretty decent seasons by that metric. And he's kind of been that sort of guy, right? He's, he's supposed to be that guy if he's still around. So am I willing to buy that he's this good? No, absolutely not. I don't mm. think you should be willing to say Dodgers made him good. And that's the sort of thing that you got to be very careful about. Um, there's not a whole lot in terms of like the any of the models that you should care about saying that this is a guy who's going to sustain a low, low threes, anything. And also strikeouts matter 
this guy's not helping you that much. So again, I don't think that people who are making informed decisions are going to be clutching onto him, um, nor should you necessarily, but it's, it's an interesting case of, um, I don't think we should be treating these things differently just because they have or haven't been with this team for a while. Uh, and that's why I wanted to rate them next to you. I, I don't know. Do you, do you have any like innate desire to trust in Tyler Anderson just because he has eight wins? Probably not. No, no. As a matter <laughs> of fact, like if, if I had him, I would be like taking my cash to the bank, right? Like that's, that's amazing. And also like, is there any way that I could try and, and get something for him because it, it looks better than again, what's the likely outcome of the second half for Tyler Anderson? I could be wrong. Maybe he ends the year with 22 wins. I could be wrong. Who knows? Yeah, I, I mean, don't think that's the most likely outcome. I don't think that's the most likely outcome. And I, I guess with all these guys, I guess that's the thing. Like if you take all the pumpkins who get dressed up for the ball, right? So many more of them are going to turn back into pumpkins than are going to get the keys to the castle. And and so like if you're playing the law of averages, um, cash in and sell high. Sometimes you're going to give away a guy who figured it out. But in the long run, you're going to cash more than you don't by by um, selling these kinds of guys high, I think. And and Nick Pavetta included. But is there something you wanted to throw in about uh, about Nikki? Oh, I. I have even less belief in him in this really interesting way in that like he's been getting absolutely smoked. His hard contact rate is like, I have to look it up again to make sure that I wasn't an aberration before. Um, 29.6%. That's abysmal. Um, mm. Really, really bad. He's got eight wins again. So he's got a ton of innings pitched, which means that his pretty okay strikeout rate is getting you more strikeouts. And that's a big thing. Yeah. He's right. also got good ratios right now, despite again, 16% K minus B is pretty, BB is pretty mid. He's allowing a lot of hard contact, not a lot of soft contact. And that that's a recipe for disaster usually, except I think I need to pull it up. Um, I think his line drive rate is helping him, but I need to triple check that so I don't say anything stupid. But yeah, like there's just nothing about this that seems normal. The thing I did look up earlier is that if you look at him um, in, as, through like the lens of has he done this before? Can we buy into this? He's actually had like if rolling Woba and Exoba charts or something you're into, I set it to 200 PAs to get yourself like a oh, half season ish thing. He's had better half season moments than he has right now. Um, and he's turned back. And I think right. that's a nice piece of like context. It's nice to know what normal is. Line drive rate is 25%. It's totally normal. Um, interesting. Yeah, I. it just seems like there's been some luck there. I'm sure if we looked at the edge the other things, he's probably got a pretty decent left on base rate then as well. Uh, but yeah, that's a guy who though, I brought him up particularly because he was kind of a sexy sleeper among a couple of uh, high stakes folks. And he's had a great last month in change. So there's kind of some they were right. You should have held on to me. He's going to help you win your league sort of vindication moments happening right now. And I want to say, even though his stuff grades have been less of a disaster than they were in the first week of the season, still looks like he's about a bang average pitcher for the most part right now. And that's more, I think a place where you're going to be able to get um, someone to bite. The data doesn't say he's been great. So like the, the smart person should be willing to bite, but you get that sort of uh well, he's been better kind of lately, and some smart people said he's good, despite the fact that everything else is kind of just pretty normal. Um, so, you know, 
I don't know what your pumpkin ball metaphor really means if we dig into it. Are the pumpkins dancing like as in literal pumpkins wearing dresses here? <laughs> I don't think we want to pull at that thread too much. Um, I don't. Yeah. I, I I will say, though, that that when you're you're getting or uh, looking at tweets or you're reading what people who are playing high stakes are saying, context is really, really, really important. It's a different game than you're playing with your buddies uh, uh, in daily <laughs> fantasy. Yep. And so... Nick Pavetta could be a league winner in a huge buy-in thing with like, you know, where a thousand players are rostered because he, where you got him, he's outperforming the, the other players at that ADP to a statistical significantly different. Um, uh, what am I trying to say here? You know, he, he's doing better than the other guys at that ADP. And that's, that's significant. It's not it's just luck. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to continue. And even if it mm-hmm. does, it doesn't mean it's going to help you and your 10 teamer. So just be aware of that context. It doesn't mean that those high stakes guys are wrong. It just means it might not apply to your situation. And, mm-hmm. and you don't want to get caught up in that kind of like chasing the dragon thing that they're chasing because they're really smart. And yeah, they are. And they're really good at what they do. And they're not playing the same game you are. They're playing chess. Mm-hmm. You're playing mm-hmm. Candyland, right? Like that's not to knock it. I'm just they're, they're it's different. Home leagues where you're 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 buying in thirty bucks with ten guys who might half of them aren't paying attention. Maybe like it's just super different than a two thousand dollar buy in league where everybody is like intensely engaged and the rosters are are super deep. So yeah, it's just very should, different. Should also note uh, Candyland, totally fine game. Sorry really fun game have you played sorry mm-hmm. recently uh you know i bought one and uh my kids were too young i was just over ambitious but it had like all these new rules and i didn't like it i want old school mm-hmm. sorry okay yeah i i'm a big fan of old school sorry and i think i got it for like 15 bucks a couple months ago and it's a great play it's a great game to play if you're very comfortable and how angry you can make the other people around you. It's almost <laughs> not a kid's game. Um, so I know that's not yeah, necessarily yeah. the baseball note that I want to close on, but if y'all want to have some fun and uh, enjoy your 4th of July weekend, I'm definitely maybe ruin a friendship or me. two. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, that is going to bring us to the end of our episode. Alexander, we didn't hit the 40 minute mark, but we did get in under an hour. So I think that is worth noting. Um, have an awesome holiday uh and i will see you on the other side of all this summer vacation stuff uh and if you could just remind the people where they could find us well they can find you on twitter at the corked mat i'm on twitter at chase underscore rate and most importantly you can find our podcast on twitter at dugout study hall where you can send us some questions please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.